Okay, Luke 2. Advent, this is our second week of Advent. Advent's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. We prepare our hearts for Jesus' coming. We're talking about the idea of preparing or making ready our own hearts for the Word of God and the work of God, what God wants to do in us during this month. Last week, we talked about preparing for a surprise or preparing for the unexpected. Mary was a positive example, someone who had prepared well for a surprise. And Zachariah was someone who had not prepared so well for a surprise. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at the idea of preparing to wait. And kind of by definition, anything that we're preparing for is in the future. It's not present to us, so we're having to wait. And for most of us, that's okay as long as our waiting doesn't exceed our expected time of delay. At some point, for mo many of us, we push past what we thought was maybe what we thought was right or what we thought would be fair. It, it, we just get tired of waiting. And then Proverbs 13, 12 kicks in for us that our hope being deferred makes our heart sick or makes our heart weak. And that can be a difficult posture to maintain over time. It's hard to live with a sick heart. And so when that Proverbs 13, 12 reality kind of sinks in for us, our, our waiting is extended beyond our expectation or anticipation of how long it should be. Our hearts become sick, and we can be tempted to just quit hoping. Well, if hope deferred makes the heart sick, well, if I just quit hoping, then my heart won't be sick anymore. And that's not a holy or a righteous surrender of desire to the Lord. It's just a throwing in the towel and saying, I'm done. I don't care anymore. Uh, for some people, they, they don't quit hoping, they quit waiting. And maybe the classic biblical example is Abraham and Sarah. They were promised a child, and after 10 years, a decade of, of, of infertility and barrenness, they, Sarah says, well, the promise came to you, Abraham, so maybe, maybe it's for you, and you can build a family through Hagar, my servant. And so Abraham and Hagar have Ishmael, and it's 15 years later that Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. They, had, they quit waiting. They didn't wait on the Lord to work out his promise in his way. They short-circuited that process. Some people, and, and, and this is, I don't know that it's the, it's the worst, but it does seem to have the most devastating consequences kind of beyond just the person involved is uh, we, we, we don't quit hoping, we don't quit waiting. We just deal with our hearts through, we, we self-medicate in whatever ways uh, we choose to do that just to make our hearts not hurt so bad. None of those things are really healthy or helpful long-term. That's not waiting well. To quit hoping, to quit waiting, or just to numb our own hearts, none of those things are ideal. We're going to have to wait. Let's learn how to wait well. Today we're going to look at two people, Simeon and Anna, who waited a long time for the Lord to, to work in their life. Remember, the context for everything that we read in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 is it's coming out of 400 years of silence. 400 years where God did not send a prophet to speak to the people of Israel. They've been waiting for centuries for God to fulfill his promise. The last couple of verses in Malachi, God's last word to his people, I'm going to send you Elijah. I'm going to send you another Elijah. And they've been waiting for 400 years for that fulfillment. We read Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, and it's easy to see all of the divine activity and to get excited. But then also to kind of say, how come that's not happening in my life? Again, remember the context. 400 years of waiting, and we'll see... Here with Simeon and Anna, they were part of that group, and they waited well. So chapter 2, starting in verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present Jesus to the Lord. 
As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, The child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, Anna gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So setting, so this is 40 days after Jesus' birth. So if Jesus was born on December 25th, which he wasn't, this would be February 2nd. Also known as Groundhog Day. So that's the day that we're at the temple. It's not zero. The guy that did the math on A.D. and B.C. messed up. So it's probably like 3 B.C., maybe something like that. We don't know exactly. So it's, we'll call it February 2nd, 3 B.C., 40 days after Jesus is born. Mary is required by the law to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice uh, as a, a, a sign of purification from childbirth. So ideally, she would bring a, a lamb and either a pigeon or a dove. She brings two birds, either two pigeons or two doves, which is a sign of her poverty. So Joseph and Mary were poor. They couldn't afford a lamb. They're also there because Jesus is their firstborn son, and you consecrated or dedicated your firstborn son to the Lord. And rather than leaving your son at the temple, you would bring an, an animal, and you would offer that animal in place of your son. So both of those things are going on. There's two rites that Mary is is, is honoring. One is her own purification right, and the other is this right of dedicating their firstborn son, Jesus, to the Lord. So the temple area is really big. It's 35 football fields big. But the, the place where Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Simeon and Anna were, most likely it's that court of women, that square that's closest to you. It's 200 feet by 200 feet. So a decent size, just to give you some context, this room is, or this building is 40 feet by about 80 feet. So you give us another one that way and put five that way, and that's about the size of this court of the women. And women were allowed outside of there. The court of the women, that was as far as a woman could go. So she could go in this area. This is the court of the Gentiles, all of this. So Gentiles and Jews could come here. Then Jewish women could come here to the court of the women then through those doors was the court of the Israelites, and only Jewish men could go. Inside the temple was the holy place, only priests. And then the, the inner room was called the, the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place, and only the high priest. 
So it's kind of like a funnel that gets more exclusive as you get closer to God's room, which is the most holy place. So everything took place most likely in that court of women because there are women involved, Anna and Mary, and crowded. Who knows how many people are there on any given day? The temple serves all of the Jews. Um, no matter where they live, they would travel to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. So probably fairly crowded, but I don't know, have any idea uh, how many people that would be. So they're there on February 2nd, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, in obedience to the law. And Simeon and Anna are also there. Simeon is there because he's been prompted by the Holy Spirit. Anna's there because she's always been there. And we have these two encounters, two people who wait well. Both Simeon and Anna were elderly. Anna was a prophet. We know she, she's described as a prophet. Simeon, we don't know if he was an officially a prophet, but he certainly plays the role of one in this story. When he takes Jesus and kind of Lion Kings him up there and says this stuff about his future, that's a prophetic function. He's saying this is who Jesus is and this is the impact his life is going to have, not just on you, Mary, but on our nation. That's a prophetic role. And both of them have been waiting, but for two different things. Simeon's been waiting on the fulfillment of a personal word to him. Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Messiah. That was something God had spoken directly to Simeon, and he's waiting on that personal word to be fulfilled. And it's different. There's no indication that she has a personal word from the Lord. Her waiting is more in general. Israel is oppressed by the Roman government. She's waiting on God to redeem Israel. That's what she says. Who's waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem? Anna is. So Anna, most likely, it was widowed at 21. You get married between 13 and 15, so we'll split the difference and say she got married when she was 14 years old. Her husband dies after seven years, so she's 21. Totally eligible to be remarried, but she makes a choice at 21 years old and says, I don't want to pursue remarriage or put myself out there to be remarried. I'm going to basically, quote unquote, marry the Lord. I'm going to spend the rest of my time in this temple. She doesn't spend the night there. That phrase, day and night, your Bible may say continuously. That's like us saying somebody would be at the temple all the time. It's where she spent all of her time praying and fasting and worshiping for, for 63 years because she chose to do that. And she's been waiting on God to move in her nation. Simeon is waiting for this personal word to be fulfilled and is waiting more generally for God to move in Israel. And I think there's a couple of things that we can learn. One thing from Simeon and, and, and a couple of things from Anna. When I think of Simeon and waiting, what I think about is someone who's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He's someone who's led by the Spirit or he keeps in step by the Spirit or, or he hears the voice of God. Those are all different ways of saying the same thing. Simeon, unlike Anna, who spent all of her time at the temple, Simeon seems to live maybe what we would call like a normal life. But on February 2nd and 3 B.C., he's sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to clear his calendar and go to the temple. And then when he's in the temple, he's sensitive enough with all of the people who are milling around to focus in on this 40-day-old baby with his poor parents. Remember, the conventional wisdom for the Messiah was someone like David, a warrior king. I would think that might be what Simeon was expecting when he went to the temple that day, maybe somebody impressive, maybe somebody who looked like a, he could lead a nation in battle. I don't know if he was looking for a baby who couldn't even hold his head up at this point in his life. But he's sensitive enough to the Lord that he's, he's drawn to Jesus. 
And then he grabs him and speaks this word about his future over Jesus. He's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. If we're going to wait well, and you're going to have to wait, so you might as well learn how to do it well, we need to cultivate that same heart. If your Bible puts Jesus' words in red, then Revelation 2 and 3 in your Bible are all red. It's these letters that Jesus is speaking to churches, seven churches in Asia. And in every one of those letters, you see this phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Simeon has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to him. And we want to have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as well. I'm going to give you three things. It's going to sound like three steps. I tried to, but I want you to think about this more as a posture. If you look at these three steps as a technique, you're going to miss the heart behind it. But I wanted to try to break this down in a way that would be um, accessible. So how do we cultivate ears to hear? How do we cultivate a heart that is responsive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? The first thing and the most important thing I would say is you actually have to believe that God still speaks. And that's the biggest obstacle I, I, I run into when I talk to people is they just don't speak. They don't believe God speaks today or if he speaks today, he certainly doesn't speak to them today. And if that's you, if you would say, that's me, I actually don't believe God still speaks. I don't believe God speaks to me for sure. I would challenge you to say, why, why would you think that? As you read the Bible, what in the Bible would cause you to believe that God no longer speaks? Throughout the Bible, he, he leads his people. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through visions. He speaks through donkeys. He speaks through bushes that burn. Mostly, normally, he speaks like he does to Simeon through the Holy Spirit, not audible voice through his ears, but an inner leading by the Spirit. That's how he normally speaks to us. As you read the Bible, what would cause you to say, well, he quit doing that? At what point would you say Jesus quit being a shepherd? Because that's what shepherds do. They lead their people. So when did, when did he hang up the shepherd's staff in the Bible? Don't hear. I'm not condemning. I'm asking you. And I would challenge you. If you believe God doesn't speak today, tell me why you would think that. From the Bible, I don't think you'll find anything. I would strongly encourage you to work through that objection, to recognize that Jesus is still a good shepherd. He still guides and directs his sheep, and you're one of them. He says in John 10, my sheep know his voice. You're one of them. You know his voice, and he is continuing to speak to you. I've read the whole Old Testament. Many of you have read it as well. There is no verse in the Old Testament that says, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Messiah. It's not in there. I've read the whole Old Testament. I've never seen the verse that says, Simeon, on February 2nd, 3 BC, you need to show up at the temple and look for a 40-day-old baby. It's not in there. The Bible is full of general revelation. It's universal truth that's applicable to all people in all places for all times. But it doesn't tell Simeon what to do on February 2nd, 3 B.C. It doesn't necessarily tell you whether you should marry or if you should marry her or not. It doesn't tell you how many kids you should have or where you should live or what career you should pursue. It doesn't tell you any of that. And it's not because God doesn't care. It's because he's given you his Holy Spirit. He lives within you to guide you into these personal decisions. You can think of it as personal guidance and direction. Rather than giving every one of us a book for our life, what he does instead is he lives within us as a compass to guide and direct. The most important thing I would say for you this morning is you have to believe that God wants to speak to you. If, if, that's, if the word speak just is a 
is an obstacle. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. And once you can believe that, then it's simple. You just ask him to do that. God, lead me, guide me, direct me, speak to me. I don't know what to do, and I need some help. And he will do that. It's squishy, though. It's, not, it's hard to know sometimes. God rarely speaks to us audibly. A lot of times he speaks to us through our thoughts or through our feelings. I'm a thinker, so I tend to, God tends to speak to me in my mind more so than in my emotions. You're maybe wired differently, and so you need to pay attention to that. Are you going to know for sure? Never. There's no such thing as 100% certainty. Simeon took a risk. He cleared his calendar, and he went to the temple. And then he walked up. So those of you who are parents, you picture this. So here's an old man that you don't know who walks up to you and takes your baby out of your hands and holds him up and starts talking about him. That's a risk for Simeon. That might have been why he said, God, you can dismiss me now. He might have been thinking, just, just in case. I don't know. It's a risk. He doesn't know. You're not going to know for certain. You can be obedient, things can work out. You can be obedient, things may not work out. And you can miss it. What God is looking for, honestly, He's just looking for you to try. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Just take a risk. It works out or it doesn't. You miss Him or you didn't. He's not tisk tisking you. He's just proud of you for giving it a shot. And over time, you'll begin to discern his voice from your own and his voice from other voices, you'll just begin to know what it sounds like. Just like in every relationship that you're in, sometimes even without caller ID, you don't have to know. You just can tell when somebody calls you. You know who it is. And over time, the more time you spend cultivating this heart that's sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the, the more easily you will discern his voice in your life. You'll never, I don't think, it's never going to be 100%. There's always an element of risk involved. But you can get more and more comfortable. That's Simeon to me, someone who's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When I think of Anna, the two words that come to mind are devotion and discipline. So in this time, pre-Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit to us, God was said to live in a room. He lives in the Holy of Holies. That's his, that's his room on earth. And the closest Anna could get to that room as a Jewish woman was the court of women. That's as close as she could get. And what I see in her when at 21 years of age when she said, I'm not going to pursue remarriage. I'm not going to put myself out there to be remarried, although she was eligible and it was an acceptable life decision. When she said, no, I'm going to give myself, devote myself fully to the Lord. And she basically moved into the court of women, what she was saying, what I hear at least, is I'm going to get as close as I can. This is as physically close as I can get to the presence of God, and so I'm going to spend as much time there as I possibly can. I'm going to worship, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to be as close to God as I can be. And that's what she did for 63 years of her life, devotion to the Lord, discipline, prayer, worship, fasting. We call those things spiritual disciplines. Practices that help us engage the Lord. Anna was engaging those practices regularly. If you're going to wait well, both of those things need to come together in your heart. Devotion and discipline or, or love and these spiritual practices that help you 
engage with the Lord's presence. Many of us are, we kind of lean one way or the other. We're more naturally maybe devotion type people. Maybe we're more naturally the discipline or the practice type people. You want to cultivate both. If you think of Anna as a healthy river, there's life, there's movement. It's, it's, it, it, the river's going in a, in a particular direction. If I think of people who have devotion and don't have discipline, to me that's like a flood. The word that comes to my mind is fickle. I think not of any of these teenagers. They're all wonderful. But I think of other teenagers who weren't in the room who jump from thing to thing to thing. And they love it when they're in. And then they love something else just as much in 22 days. That to me is devotion without these practices. It's water without a riverbed. It's real and it's genuine. It just doesn't go anywhere. When I think about people who genuinely love the Lord, they have affection for Him. They, have, they get goosebumps in worship. It's all real. But there's no ongoing spiritual disciplines and practices in their life. They genuinely love the Lord. They just never get to know Him very well. There's a stagnation in the relationship. It doesn't go very deep. Because there's no ongoing practices to facilitate relationship. When I think of people who have the practices and don't have the love, it's a riverbed without any water. It's a Pharisee. It's a, it's a legalism. People are praying. They're worshiping. They're giving. They're reading their Bible. They're going to church. They're in a small group. They're just not becoming more like Jesus. There's no life in it. There's no power. Anna has both of them, and we want to cultivate a heart that is both devoted to the Lord and a life that has these practices where we're intentionally engaging with Him on a regular basis. Fundamental to both devotion and discipline is desire. And honestly, this is where most of us drop the ball. Anne is a great picture. At 21 years of age, she expressed her desire to be as close to God as she could. She expressed a desire through her actions to cultivate as much relationship as she could cultivate with God this side of heaven. Many of us, we don't even think that way. And it's because people like me, at some point in your life, we gave you a choice and we said, heaven or hell, choose. And that was the decision that you made. And we made hell a place that nobody wants to go. Who wants to burn forever if you have another option? If you read the New Testament, nobody ever gets that choice. Jesus doesn't walk around saying heaven or hell. He walks around saying, follow me. It's an invitation to relationship. The choice is, do you want to be reconciled to God? Do you want to become a part of his family to be adopted as a son or a daughter? Or do you want to live estranged from God? Do you want to be an orphan? Do you want to live on your own? Those are your two choices. It's relationship with God or not. And heaven and hell flow from those things. But when we elevate heaven or hell as the primary a decision point for whether or not we're going to become a Christian, then we make God the means to an end. I don't want him for his own sake. I want him because he's going to keep me from burning forever. John 17, 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life. Knowing me, if you don't want a relationship with God, you don't want to go to heaven. That's all it is. You'll be miserable. If you don't want relationship now, you certainly don't want it then. Where it's unending and it's unmediated. You'll be miserable. And so for many of us, the place we need to start is at the level of desire. 
Do I actually want to live reconciled to him? Do I actually want to pursue relationship with him? If heaven is knowing him, am I interested in that? Begin there. Ask the Lord to give you a hunger and a thirst for him. And he'll do it. You don't even have to come up with a desire. He'll do it for you. You just have to ask him. And once you begin to have that desire, then the idea of devotion and discipline come into play. So I'm, I'm a discipline guy. I'll lean that way much more than devotion. I'm sure that's shocking if you've met me. I'm emotionally stunted, as they say. So for me, and if you're the same as me, Ephesians 3 is a great prayer for you to pray. God, give me power to grasp how high and long and wide and deep is your love for me. You need to personalize it. Let me know. Help me comprehend the vastness of your love for me. Because as we begin to understand his love for us, that will fuel our love back for him. It's a great prayer to pray. You don't have to stir up emotion or affection. You can ask him to do that for you. God, help me love you better. Help me grasp how much you love me and that would then fuel my love for you. Very practically, probably it's maybe been 12 years now. A step that I made that's been super helpful for me and may or may not be for you is I began to practice personal worship. So not just corporate worship. I've always enjoyed that. But I began to worship on my own once or twice a week, 30 or 45 minutes. It's easy for me. I get paid to do that. You don't. (laughs) But try to figure out on your own. What does that look like? Listening to the fish in the car is not worship. It's better than other things. But it's not the same. When you're driving, you need your eyes open and your hands on the wheel. Right? Worship is full engagement, giving God what he's due. We talked about it a few weeks ago. It's kissing his feet metaphorically. That requires your attention. You can't multitask. Worship is not one of many things you're doing at the same time. There's got to be some set aside. I would encourage you to create some set aside time. If you're a thinker like me, it's important. If you're an introvert, I find it helpful. Not used to expressing yourself. When I, what I find in worship is God, in a sense, can get past the roadblocks that my mind puts up and can deal directly with my heart. I would encourage you, if you struggle with the whole idea of your affection or your devotion to the Lord, maybe begin to practice personal worship. If you don't even know how to get started, Bo Bryan, our worship leader, would love to help you. And you can contact him directly or I can put you in contact him and, and he can help you with that. Devotion. Discipline. This is the practices that help you stay engaged during the week. So it carries you over time. Same thing, just like with devotion, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to grit your teeth and say, I'm going to be disciplined. You ask the Lord to give you grace to do that. He's not going to make you pray, but he can give you grace to do that. In the, it's in the moment. This is your posture. God, I want to pray. But the snooze button is really attractive. And I need your grace to get up. God, I want to read. I want to spend some time in the Word. But you know, Netflix, it just it actually just comes up automatically. I don't even have to do anything. It just rolls into the next episode. I need grace to push pause. You don't have to come up with the willpower on your own. We begin in the Spirit and we continue in the Spirit. That's Galatians 3.3. 3. He will empower you. He's not going to make you. You're going to have to exert some level of effort, but, it's, but he will enable you 
to say yes to him over time. One of the things that's been super helpful for me, and again, this is just for your consideration. The last three years, I've made a vow or a commitment to the Lord in January around a particular spiritual discipline. Three years ago, I committed to the Lord to pray for a certain amount of time for six days a week. Two years ago, I committed to fast a certain number of days a month. And this year, I committed to journal a certain number of days a week. And I made those commitments for one year. And, and by God's grace, I, we, I honored those. And the good thing for me is it, it lasts a year. So I get through the honeymoon phase and that this is terrible. God will forgive me. He doesn't really care anyway phase to the, hey, there's actually life here. And I get why this is important. But it takes a year for me. To do that. But it's not, I haven't committed for the rest of my life. I've committed for 12 months, January through December. For many of you, when you hear the word commitment or vow, you go, I, that's, that sounds like legalistic and I'm not really that kind of guy or girl and I'm going to fail. Let me read you this. This is by a guy, this is a sermon that a guy named A.W. Tozier preached at his church. He's a pastor in Chicago in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. It's called the Five Vows of Spiritual Power. His language is not uh, gender inclusive. He's a product of his time, but I think you can uh, wade through that to hear the heart behind it. Some people object to taking vows, but in the Bible you will find many great men of God directed by covenants, promises, vows, and pledges. My counsel in this matter is that if you're really concerned about spiritual improvement... The gaining of new power, new life, new joy, and new personal revival within your heart, you will do well to make certain vows and proceed to keep them. If you should fail, go down in humility and repent and start over, but always keep these vows before you. They will help harmonize your heart with the vast powers that flow out and down from the throne where Christ sits at the right hand of God. A carnal man refuses the discipline of such commitments. He says, I want to be free. I don't want to lay any vows upon myself. I don't believe in it. It's a legalism. There are many religious tramps. He calls a tramp someone who's free but useless. There are many religious tramps in the world who will not be bound by anything. They've turned the grace of God into personal license. But the great souls are ones who choose to be bound, who've gone reverently to God with the understanding that in their flesh dwells no good thing. And they know that without God's enablement, any vows taken would be broken before sundown. Nevertheless, believing in God, reverently, they took sacred vows. This is the way to spiritual power. So you don't need to hear that as heavy, but as an encouragement. You got a couple of weeks before January. Is there a practice? And you, honestly, you stink at it. Are you engaged regularly with the Lord in prayer? That's where I'd start. Always. If you're not praying regularly, that's the place to start. And I would say commit. Make a commitment to pray five days a week or six days a week for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Just commit to doing it. You're going to fail. Then you go down in humility. You repent and you start again. Don't quit. And over the course of 2019, if you will commit, you'll ask God for the grace to be intentional, you'll ask God for the grace to sustain you, you, you'll be in a completely different place in December than you are now, next year. And the people who you're praying for will be in different places. Prayer is inviting God to get involved. 
So if you're daily inviting God to get involved in these people's lives and these circumstances that you care about, if you do that every day or for a year or for 300 days of a year, things are going to change. You'll be blown away by the responsiveness of God to your persistent prayer. I would strongly encourage you to consider making a commitment to the Lord to engage in a spiritual practice. Reading the Bible, prayer, worship, silence. Again, if, if, you're, if prayer is, a, if it's not, that's not a strong part of your life, that's a place where I would start. But if you feel good about that before the Lord, there are plenty of other spiritual practices that can help you engage. And I would encourage you to, to make the commitment for a year to do that. I know a year seems like a really long time. And it is a long time, and it's long enough for God to work something deep into your heart and for it to become a part of who you are. We're going to take a couple of minutes for ministry. John and Kate, if you guys can come back up. If you're on the ministry team, I'd love for you to come up. And if you're not scheduled for this week and you're on the ministry team, I'd love for you to come up. We want to make sure that we have enough people to pray for everyone. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. I want to pray specifically for people who are waiting. We're all Anna. We're all waiting on Jesus to return. Robin talked about that some in the Advent reading. We're all waiting on that for Jesus to return and make everything right. Many of you are also Simeon. There's something personal that you're waiting on. It's not in the Bible necessarily. It's something that God has spoken to you. It's something that you're believing him for. You may not be at the place where your heart is sick yet, but you may be. I don't know. Either way. We want to pray for you. We want to pray, one, we're going to pray for God to move in that circumstance before, uh, before Christmas. We're going to ask him to do that. That's what those gift tags were for. And we're also going to pray that God would give you grace to wait and to wait well. That you wouldn't quit hoping and that you wouldn't quit waiting and that you wouldn't numb your heart. But like Anna and Simeon, you would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that your heart would be devoted to him with these spiritual practices to help you stay connected to him so that you can wait well until he intervenes in your situation. There may be something else that was shared that you want to grab onto, the spiritual commitment or listening to the Lord. I don't know absolutely if those things are stirring in your heart. Let us pray for you, but we do want to focus on those who are waiting. So if you, if you would stand, I'm going to pray a brief prayer, and then I would invite you all to come forward for ministry, and John and Kate will dismiss us in about five minutes. Holy Spirit, would you come and as we heard about from Isaiah 35, would you strengthen our knees that are weak? God, those of us who are having, we're just, we're weary of waiting. If we're honest, our hearts are, are becoming sick. Would you come and would you breathe hope? Would you breathe faith? Would you breathe joy into our hearts? Would you give us grace to wait well? We absolutely are looking to you to move in our circumstances. We're expecting you to do that. And until you do that, we want to remain faithful in our relationship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can come forward as you want.